Let's pray together. Father God, as we come before you now, Lord Jesus, and begin this portion of our service where we have the privilege, Father, just to open up your word. Father God, I pray that you will speak to me and speak through me. I pray for everyone that's in this room, Lord Jesus, that you will reveal your truth to us. And Father, we pray that as a result of our time together, Lord, that we will respond to this message as you would have us to. Father, we just pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you will begin on this day to revive our spirits, to revive our lives, to revive our church, to revive this community and our nation in this world. Father, we know that we need revival. And Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will begin that process in our lives today. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever been to a sporting event and you have participated in the wave? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. All right. I I thought about this morning, well, let's see what the wave would look like if we did it here at Friendship Baptist Church. But I figured that I I wouldn't do that. But there's something about the wave that's just um, pretty remarkable when you think about it. If you go to a Ranger game or if you go to a Maverick game or to um, Jerry's World over at AT AT&T Stadium... And, and you see 100,000 people in one arena standing up um, when it's their turn and, and watching that wave as it circumnavigates around those stadiums. There's something pretty awesome about it. A couple weeks ago, um, my wife and I, we went over to the Ranger game and we, um, we, we saw the wave as it was happening. A few sections over from us, um, I noticed a, a small group of people that stood up. And what they did is they rallied their section of the stadium to do the, the, the wave. And it took them several times of going up and down, up and down, before finally, um, not only did their section catch on, but the section that was above them and below them began to catch on. And before long, the entire stadium, when it was their turn, began doing the wave. And what's so fascinating about the wave is this. The wave generally begins when one person rallies a small group of people to participate in it. And when you think about the great revivals that have swept our land, in our world, in our nation. Um, Most revivals have begun when one person fell on their face before the Lord and asked the Lord to begin revival with them. Several weeks ago, as we walked through our message, The Ripple Effect, I shared with you um, um, this statement, but I, or this, this, but I want to do it again. I want us to think about um, the waves that happen in our lives, the waves that have happened within God's Word, the ripple effect of Jesus coming to this earth. Jesus took a band of misfits and used them to turn the world upside down. Jesus took 12 men, 11 of them would complete the journey, one man would betray Jesus, turn him over to the Roman leaders and to the religious leaders, and Jesus would die a criminal's death. The other 11, with the exception of John, would die a martyr's death. Every single one of these disciples left an impact on this world. Think about the initial splash that Jesus made when he came to this earth. He called 12 men to follow him. And he would invest in them for three years. Following his death... And resurrection, just before his ascension, Jesus gathered um, his disciples together. There was about 120 of them. 
And he told them to go back to Jerusalem and to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they go to Jerusalem, they go up into the upper room, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell down upon the 120. Those 120 then went out into the streets. And Peter would stand up before the Jews that had assembled together and preach the most important evangelistic message that has ever been preached. And on that day, 3,000 people gave their lives over to Jesus Christ. Within a matter of days, Scripture tells us that 5,000 men had given their lives over to Jesus. And, and that doesn't include the number of women and the number of children that also, and, and students that gave their lives over to Jesus as well. Jesus began the wave, but eventually the wave of revival would literally circumnavigate the globe. Think about the world that we live in today. There are still approximately 4,000 people groups that have yet to hear the name of Jesus. There are a couple of billion people in this world today that have no clue who Jesus Christ is. There are hundreds of millions of people today, if, if they were to die, that would go straight to hell because they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. You and I have a lot of work to do as believers. This morning, I want us to look at the wave of revival I think every single one of us in this room would admit that as individuals, we need to experience revival in our lives. Corporately, as a faith family, we need to experience revival. We know that our nation needs to experience revival. And we know the result of our world that we live in today, we need a revival. So this morning, I want us to focus in on the requirements for revival. And I want us to look at five marks of revival. Um, these five marks come from J.I. Packer's um, from J.I. Packer. And before we look at those, I want us to first read our focal passage together. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Psalm 85, the book of, um, of Psalm. And we're going to begin reading together in verse 1 of chapter 85. This is what it says. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generation? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Here's the reality this morning. Our message point is this. We don't have revival because we don't want revival. Think about that statement. We don't have revival because we don't want revival. One pastor said this, lots of talk, Lots of songs, lots of insincere praying about revival. Truth, most of us would like to see revival. We would like to witness a revival. We would like a revival to take place in our church. But we personally, individually, don't really want to experience revival. You know, I've been reflecting upon um, this for some weeks now. We don't want revival. I mean, think about it. If we really, truly wanted revival, 
guess what would happen? Revival would come. We would experience it individually, and we would experience corporately. If you and I are to experience personal revival, which will lead to corporate revival, our entire lives will look different. This church will look different. The way we love God will look different. The way we love our families will look different. The way we love the lost will look different. The way we prioritize our time will look different. The way that we focus on, on, on life in general, we will we'll focus more on external things instead of on internal things. The desire for more will not be for more stuff but it will be for more of Jesus. If we want to experience revival, then we need to pray for revival. We need to pray that the Lord Jesus will bring about revival in our individual lives as well as across our faith family and across these cities as well. Our first point this morning that I want us to look at, the first mark of revival is this, an awareness of God's presence. An awareness of God's presence. For revival to occur, there must be a renewed awareness of God's presence in our lives. Think back to the moment of your salvation. Okay? Think back to the moment that Jesus Christ saved you from the collision course with hell that you were on. For some of you in this room, man, it may be a matter of looking back weeks or months. Others of you, you may have to look back 50 years or 60 years to that moment that Jesus Christ saved you. But I promise you, it was, if you think back to that moment, you'll remember that moment as if it was probably yesterday. Because it was the greatest day of your life. You know, when I think back to Easter Sunday, when I was 11 years old, the day that Jesus Christ saved me, I don't remember the preacher that day. I don't remember the message that day. But what I do remember is this, that a message was preached. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, come and follow me and I will give you the gift of eternal life. For me on that day, that is the day that I first experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Do you remember that moment that the Lord Jesus Christ saved you? Do you remember the presence of the Lord that fell upon you on that day? Even though I was given the gift of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God began to began dwelling within me. You know, I've not always sought the presence of God in my life. There have been seasons in my life when I have rebelled against God. There have been seasons in my life that I've run from God. There have been seasons in my life when I have... Um, when I have tried to do this thing called ministry on my own, where I have thought that I could preach on my own or I could lead on my own without relying upon the Holy Spirit. In the 17th century, there lived a monk named Nicholas Herman who would later become known as, as um, Brother Lawrence. Am I rattling right now? A little bit? I hear it. I can kind of hear it. Sorry about that. If it continues, I'll pick up a microphone. But Brother Lawrence is the name that he would, he would become known as. He wrote a series of letters which were later compiled into a book called The Practice of the Presence of the Holiness of God. Several years ago, I read this book, and within the pages of this book, this statement um, I read. And this was, Brother Lawrence battled. Try moving. 
All right. Brother Lawrence battled with the presence of God daily in his life. He wanted more of God's presence in his life every single day. And he wrote this. He said, as often as I could, I placed myself as a worshiper before him, fixing my mind upon his holy presence, recalling it when I found it wandering from him. This proved to be an exercise frequently painful. Yet I persisted through all difficulties. Practicing the presence of the holiness of God is not an easy task, is it? It's a very difficult task. There are so many things that are battling for our mind's attention and our heart's attention. Think about the things that battle for your attention every day. Your families, your job, your hobbies, the things that you watch on TV, sporting events. Um, Your health battles for your attention. Your finances battle for your attention. This list could easily go on and on and on. Being aware of God's presence is not easy. But it is something that we must master on a daily basis. We must desire more of Jesus Christ in our lives every single day. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You and I must hunger and thirst for more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, most of the time throughout our day, what are we doing? We find ourselves hungering and thirsting for more of this world. If we want a revival, then we must consciously desire more of Jesus and more of his presence to be manifested in our lives. Folks, the issue is not Jesus being absent from our lives. The issue is us not tapping into the power source of the Holy Spirit within our lives. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, he said, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. We cannot escape God's presence. Nor can we hide from his presence, nor should we ever want to. As believers, we should constantly long for his presence to be manifested in our lives on a daily basis. I love, um, you know, one of the final words that Jesus left his disciples with are these words found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's good news, folks. That is good news. The presence of God is with us all of the days of our lives. What we must learn to do is tap into the power source of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Just like our nation today, the nation of Israel frequently substituted the presence of God for idols, for the idols of this world. It was because of their rebellion against God that God allowed the nation of Israel to be enslaved by the Babylonians back in 607 B.C. And they would remain enslaved for 70 years, sometimes after they were permitted back to Israel. Back when they came back to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, that this psalm 
was penned. The author, having been reflecting on Israel's history of rebellion, cries out to God and says, Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. If you and I are ever going to tap into the power source of the Holy Spirit, then it is going to require us daily making a conscious effort that we want more of God's Spirit to be manifested in our lives. We need to cry out to Jesus daily, hour by hour, and minute by minute. We must become consciously aware of the Holy Spirit that is dwelling within us. And when we become consciously aware of God's presence in our lives on a, on a minute by minute, second by second day, you know what's going to happen? We're going to begin the process of experience revival in our lives. Notice the second point this morning. The second mark of revival is this. There is a responsiveness to God's word. When revival occurs within the life of the believer, there is a renewed hunger and thirst for God's word. Back during our Believe series, one of our messages was on Bible study. And if you were with us then, we we looked at, how God's Word is more than just ink on a page. God's Word is breath on a page. So often we read God's Word as if it's just a history book, don't we? We believe it. We believe everything within it is literally true. But what we don't do is tap into the power source that comes from God's Word. Tony Evans says, This Word, the Bible, is the very voice of God in print. Think about that. This word, the Bible, the Bible that you hold in your hand this morning, this Bible is the very word of God in print. You want to know what God wants you to know? Then open God's word. And study it on a daily basis. This is where you will find the voice of God in printed form. You know, I've heard people say, and I've often said it myself, that, man, I wish that I could hear God's audible voice. You know what? Here's the reality. Every time we open up God's Word, we can hear God's audible voice. Every time we sit under the teaching of God's Word, we can hear God's audible voice. Every time that we pray to God the Father, we can hear His voice because He is making Himself known to us because the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of our lives this morning. In Hebrews 4.12 we read, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word right here still works. It still transforms lives. God's word still calls people unto salvation. It is alive and it is active. And if you and I want to experience revival in our lives, then we need to read it, we need to study it, and we need to apply it to our lives on a daily basis. And when we begin to do those things and cry out to God to transform our lives, then we will begin to experience revival in our lives. Corporately, we'll experience revival. And this could be the very place that God begins a spark that will cause our nation to experience revival as well. Notice the third mark of revival, sensitivity to sin. You know, revival occurs when we are appalled by our sin. When, when our sin nature appalls us. 
You know, when I think back um, to, to some of the, the sin natures that I've experienced in my life, man, it just appalls me. Even today, some of my sin nature appalls me. You know, our sins should appall us on a daily basis. I'm not talking about the big, hairy kinds of sins that, that we may periodically commit. But I'm t- talking about those daily sins where we allow our flesh to take over, where we allow our anger and our rage or, or our dishonesty or our business practices to take over that do not bring honor and glory to God. Those are sins as well. We need to get to the point in our lives where our sin, the big ones and the little ones, appall us. Now, I love one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm sure it's one of your favorite passages of Scripture as well. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we read this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house who filled was with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. You know, Isaiah, when he entered into the very presence of God Almighty, his sin nature appalled him because he recognized that he could not be in the presence of a holy God as a sinful person. And what happened? The Lord God right there and then cleansed him. Isaiah cries out, woe is me for I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you and I understand that the same God that Isaiah countered here is the same God that dwells within us on a moment by moment, second by second basis, guess what's going to happen? We too are going to be appalled by our sin nature. The fourth mark of revival is this. There is a liveliness in community. There is a renewed sense of community that happens when revival occurs. In our focal passage this morning in Psalm 85, verses 4 through 7, the psalmist wrote, Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The fourth mark of revival is when there is a renewed passion to live in community together as believers. When you look at the first church, the Acts 2 church, where we find our six core values as a church, you see a church that was committed to living together in community. The verses that, that um, we get our six core values are found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is where we get our six core values. Why do we value these six things? Because these six things work. The Word of God still works today. When we come together in fellowship as a body of believers, we are sharpened when we come together. When we pray, God's Holy Spirit is right here in our midst. When we give generously to those that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are introducing them to the God of the universe. When we come together and worship together on Sundays and Wednesdays and throughout um, 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 the year together, God is honored by that. And then we also are committed to the Great Commission. Those are our six core values here at Friendship Baptist Church. We value these things because these things worked back when the first church was started and they still work today when you and I commit to them and gather around them and, 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 and make it a commitment that we're going to be about them. They still work today. Notice the fifth mark of revival. It is this, faithfulness and testimony. Another way of saying this is faithfulness to the Great Commission. Notice what happened to Isaiah after his life was revived. Isaiah stated in Isaiah 6, verse 8 said, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said this, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. When you and I are filled with the presence of God, when you and I are committed to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the studying and applying of God's Word in our lives. When we are appalled by our sin nature and we're committed to live together in community, you know what happens? God uses people like us, churches like us, to transform the cities, the communities, and the world that we live in. We don't have revival. Think about our message point this morning. We don't have revival because we don't want revival. Revival, you know what's going to happen if we were to experience revival? If we were to experience revival as individuals or as a faith family, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be inconvenienced. The things that we love today are going to look totally different tomorrow. We're not going to have an internal me attitude, but we're going to have an external focus on this world. We need a revival. But in order for revival to happen, we must make a daily commitment that we want God to revive us individually. And then we must make a commitment as a faith family, as a corporate body of believers, that we want God to bring about revival within our fellowship. And whenever God begins to do these things in our lives, you know what's going to happen? People are going to take notice outside of the doors of this church. God's going to use us to go to different places and proclaim the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. In closing this morning, 
Let's not just catch the wave of a revival, but let's be the church that God uses to start the wave of revival. Let's begin praying for God to revive us individually. Let's begin praying for God to revive us corporately. We need a revival. I think every single one of us in this this room would admit that we need a revival. The question is this, are we willing to allow God to do in us what needs to happen before revival begins? Are we willing to allow God to inconvenience us so that we can experience revival? You know, you may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning. If you don't know for certain if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity, let me encourage you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And Scripture says if you do that, you will be saved. Being a follower of Jesus is about us making a commitment that we're going to surrender our lives over to him and we're going to allow him to use us every single day of our lives. If you don't know Jesus, then this morning I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Repent of your sins. Get right with God. And I promise you that on this day you can say just as I did some 32 years ago, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit began to dwell in me and I began to experience the presence of God in my life. You may be here this morning. The Lord is leading you to join this faith family. And if, if that is the case during our time of invitation, we invite you to come. You may need to where you're at this morning just on bended knee right there at the pew that you're sitting in, or you may need to come to this altar and begin the process of praying for God to begin revival in your lives. Man, I know that, that, that consciously every single day I must pray harder for revival to happen in my life. And I pray that all of us will make that same commitment. Let's stand together as we pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Just thanking you for the privilege of allowing us to come together, to sit under the teaching of your word, to worship together as a faith family. And Lord Jesus, I just pray right now, Father God, if there is someone here this morning that has, has yet to, to turn from their sins and repent of those sins and ask you to forgive them of their sins, then I pray this morning, that they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Holy Spirit, I just pray, Father, that you will just fall upon this place right now. Father, for those that may not know you in this room, draw the lost unto salvation. For those in this room this morning, Lord Jesus, that may have strayed from you, They may be like the prodigal son and they have have gone their own way. Father, I pray that today you will draw them back unto yourself. Father, if there's some here this morning that need to come and join this church, Father, Lord, we pray that they will come. Father God, if there is work that you need to do within the hearts and lives of your children this morning, wherever they might be around this room, Lord, I pray that they will begin to cry out to you 
that all of us will begin to cry out to you and ask you to begin revival with us. Father, forgive us of our sins this morning. Forgive us of of the times in our lives where we thought that we could do this thing called life on our own. Father, we know that we cannot. It's only through the guidance and direction of your Holy Spirit that we're able to complete this race called life. Father, do a work right now within each and every one of our lives. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.